0: Thank you for a very gracious and undeserved uh, introduction there. But, uh, and I, I do, Chet, thank you and uh, for allowing me to be here. It, it's a pleasure to know Chet as well. Um, and uh, he alluded to some tough times we've gone through since coming back from India. We, I, won't, I won't go into it all now, but uh, when we came back for our regularly scheduled stateside in uh, May of 2012, right about the same time my father-in-law was uh, diagnosed with uh, a terminal brain tumor. And so everything just kind of started changing and transitioning, and it just kind of continued longer than we thought it would and in different ways than we thought it would. But uh, a couple times during that process, I was able to talk with Chet uh, just by phone. And you've probably been through times like this where you really need to talk with somebody, but you don't want it to be someone real close for different reasons, and uh, it's nice to have a friend that you can be transparent with and, and open with, but that's a little removed uh, from the situation, and that was kind of where we were, and uh, Chet, just a couple different times, just really spoke into my life, and you encouraged me, and uh, I really appreciate that. Um, I want to invite you to turn uh, to Second Corinthians five. <clears throat> I'm going to. Uh, sometimes when I speak, uh, the pastor also preaches, and so in that case, it's a very short presentation focusing on our work, you know, among Muslims in our city. Uh, other times, uh, the pastor says, "Hey, you can you can preach as well," and so in that in that event, I try to take a text that uh, speaks to to missions maybe, some aspect of it. So this morning I'm going to share a message from God's Word. That's what you come to worship for. Uh, I'm sure if you're under Chet's uh, shepherding, that's why you come here. So I hope not to disappoint in that way. But I also want to merge some stories from India and uh, some stories from our city and our people in with that. Sometimes by way of illustration to uh, see how this text, I guess, is related to some of what God led us through in India. And then at the end, I'm going to transition and just speak a little bit about going back to India through Pioneers. So, uh, and afterwards, I'd be open for, uh, you know, not, maybe not in this session, but after the whole service, if you have any questions or would like to talk further, I'd love to. Um, a little bit about this uh, passage. I'm going to read verses uh, 11 of Second Corinthians 5 through verse 2 of chapter 6, and just a little context here. Uh, the first letter to the Corinthian church dealt with uh, a lot of a, a big problem in the church. There was sexual sin in the church. Uh, they weren't responding to to it as they should, and so Paul wrote that letter to them. Dealt with that issue. Uh, also, there were divisions in the church, and they had questions about marriage and food offered to idols and So Paul addressed those matters in in that letter and In 2 Corinthians, uh, the big issue in this letter is that some other apostles, some other ministers, had come in uh, Paul calls them so called super apostles, but they were undermining the work that Paul had done and Basically planning this church. He was their spiritual father. He wanted to see them grow in Christ. And while he was away, these super apostles came in and were preaching a different Jesus, he says. So a lot of this letter, he's trying to convince them and persuade them that he is genuinely an apostle of the Lord. He is a true minister of the gospel. More so than these other guys that have come in and undermined his work. So that's kind of the, uh, the context of this uh, passage that I'm going to read. He's explaining to the Corinthian church uh, what his ministry is like, uh, the nature of it. And so we'll pick up here in verse 11 of 2 Corinthians 5. Therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord, we persuade others, but what we are is known to God. And I hope it is known also to your conscience. We are not commending ourselves to you again, but giving you cause to boast about us, so that you may be able to answer those who boast about outward appearance and not about what is in the heart. For if we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you. For the love of Christ controls us, the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, to be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Working together with him, then, we appeal to you Not to receive the grace of God in vain. For he says in a favorable time I listened to you. And in a day of salvation I have helped you. Behold now is the favorable time. Behold now is the day of salvation. Let's pray. Father thank you so much for your word. And uh, Father even as I preach it I'm aware that I need it. Father, I have the desires in my flesh that are like these super apostles uh, to make much of myself and commend myself and compare myself to other people and feel good about myself or badly about myself based on that comparison. And Father, you remind us in this text that we minister for you, uh, not for other people. Uh, We're not judged. By comparison to other people, uh, we stand or fall to you alone. And Father, I just pray even as I preach, Father, that you would give me strength to preach and minister now in that spirit and not um, one that is so common to my flesh, Father. Lord, I do pray that as uh, I preach, Father, that you would impress your word on hearts here today. You tell us that your word is like a hammer that breaks bones uh, like a fire, and uh, Father, I just pray that you would impress your word even strongly on uh, those here today, Father, to be reconciled with you if they're not, uh, also to be ambassadors of reconciliation um, if they are in Christ, and um, Father, I just pray that you would do more than I could ask or imagine I thank you for this church it's just exciting to think that five years ago there was not this church and now it is and it's growing and people are growing in christ and and they're being sent out and they're ministering where they move and and live and father i praise your name for that i thank you for my friendship with chet and just pray you bless him father as the under shepherd of this church and Bless those that are being trained up under his ministry. Bless this flock. Uh, Lord, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, I think one of the toughest questions in general that maybe we're posed on a regular basis is, How are you? Uh, but as a missionary, one of the difficult questions, most difficult questions, but a common question that I'm often asked is, What do you do? And often, the answer that I give depends on the context. So, if it's a neighbor in our city, and we're moving in, and they're probably not a a Christian, um, perhaps a a Hindu, maybe a a Muslim or a Sikh, what do you do? I'm a little more guarded in my response. And the first term I shared about being a study abroad theological student, a, a true answer, but not a fully divulging answer. Uh, later, I did some work in some Bible colleges. I could tell about that, but but deep down, um, when I could share it, my burning desire, when you really reduced it all down, was to see lost sinners, in this case, uh, Muslim sinners, converted. Truly converted. Changed from the inside out so that they were would be different people than they were before. That was really my goal, and then that those would be incorporated into a new church, and then that these newly saved brothers and sisters in Christ would share with others, and win more, and, and, and plant more churches. So, that was kind of the essence, to see people truly converted, to see the new birth take place, to see what Paul describes here as people reconciled to God, and that's really what Paul uh, is after uh, also here. He wants to see people reconciled to God uh, in describing his ministry, what his ministry is like. If you look a little back, you see it's a ministry of the new covenant. It's not like the old covenant. Uh, it's, it's, it's not made up about sacrifices and, and things of that nature. It's in Christ, the fulfillment in Christ uh, also, he talks about it's a ministry of suffering, marked by suffering. But in this passage, it's a ministry of reconciliation, reconciling those that don't know God, they're separated from God, reconciling them to God in Christ. And when you think about it, and, and as we'll see in this text, the missionary and Paul, the aim is really to do something that is impossible. Uh, we were attempting the impossible. I wanted to see people be born again in Christ. I don't have the power in and of myself to effect that. But that's what we wanted to see. That's what Paul wanted to see. So how does this, how does this ministry of reconciliation work? What's our part in this? What's the nature of it? And I think uh, we'll find the answers to that um, in, this, in this passage. So... First, I want you to see in this, uh, as Paul talks about the ministry of reconciliation, he discloses his motives for this ministry, uh, his motives for this ministry of reconciliation. And this is in verses 11 through 17. And verse 11, you see the first one, and the first motivation or the first motive that he had in ministry. It says, therefore, knowing the fear of the Lord we persuade others. And if you look back, that therefore, uh, I'm sure Chet has taught you And you see therefore, you ask, what's it there for? And you look back. And so you look back and you see that Paul's been talking about in his sufferings, he doesn't lose heart. Not because the sufferings aren't bad, but because of what's ahead. So he looks forward and he sees an eternal weight of glory. That's out there ahead of him whenever he may meet his death he's gonna be with God in glory you see that in verse uh, 17 for this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal weight of glory beyond all comparison he talks about glory and he also talks in verse 10 of chapter 5 for we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body whether good or evil so, this first motivation of Paul's, he's a minister called by God. It's not his ministry. It's not his gospel. It was given by God. And he's aware that one day he's going to have to stand and give an account, not to the other ministers, as tempting as it might be to compare himself with them. He's going to have to give an account, and also not to the people he's serving. Uh, they likely, and most congregations at some point may not like something their under shepherd their pastor does and pastors are sometimes at fault but his main concern was not pleasing even his his congregation but he knew one day he would stand before God and have to give an answer and i think verse 10 is that's the kind of judgment that it's talking about it's a judgment of rewards for the believer that's i think what's in view here So Paul knew one day he would stand and much like the parable of the talents, he would have to answer for what God had given him, how he had stewarded that and uh, that was looming in front of him. So knowing that, knowing the fear of the Lord, he persuaded others. What he didn't do, and you see this in verses 12 and 13, he didn't commend himself. Verse 12, that was what these other... Super apostles were doing; they were touting themselves. He didn't do that. Um, Verse thirteen, he says, "If we are beside ourselves, it is for God. If we are in our right mind, it is for you." And I read in a a book commenting on this verse: "It's kind of if we're beside ourselves again, it's we're not aiming to please you. It's for God. But if we're speaking, we're in our right mind. You're understanding it. We're." Being serious with you, it's for you. Take it and and receive it. So Paul wasn't motivated by that. He was motivated by the fear of the Lord, and he said, "We persuade others." And this is something, uh, especially in Acts, that you see. I know Chet is is big on the sovereignty of God, and just talking last night with Quinn, who was there in India, and uh, other conversations I've heard. I can tell that you're well taught and probably think highly of God's sovereignty. And Paul did too. But one phrase, one word that you see, or I guess it's a verb. I've got my English scholar here that came with me from Louisville, uh, Joel. So he'll check me on this later. It's a verb that you see a lot in Acts. Although Paul trusted in God's sovereignty, when he was face to face with Gentiles who worshipped idols, or he was face-to-face with Jews who had a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge, he didn't sit back and rest on his laurels. He persuaded, and you see that word a lot in Acts. He reasoned, wrestling with them. That's the picture I get, wrestling, doing everything humanly possible to convince, to convey the truth of the gospel also knowing at the same time that God had to bless that or it was all vain. So the fear of the Lord prompted Paul to persuade others. And that's just another way of saying it prompted him to preach the gospel to others. It prompted him to tell people they needed to be reconciled to God. The fear of the Lord. But the second motivation that you see there is down in verse 14. And here he says, "So that's, you might say that's a negative motivation the fear of the Lord maybe he's going to have to give an answer one day but here maybe is one that might ring more positively in our minds the love of Christ for the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this that one has died for all therefore all have died and he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves but for him who for their sake died and was raised so Paul's not only motivated knowing that he has to give an answer one day, he's motivated knowing that Christ loves lost sinners so much that he gave his own life for them. And so as we go out, as you go into your workplace, and uh, I think Quinn last night, it was interesting hearing Chet and Quinn talk about India because they're three years removed now and I can still see it made a big impact. And uh, India usually does that one way or the other. It may be, you know, a person goes and says, I'm never going back, ever. I, or someone's really endeared and says, I, I can't wait to come back. It's usually one extreme or the other. It definitely makes an impact. But Quinn said he remembered me telling him there, uh, just describing the lostness. It's a city of 16 million people. Our people are about 2.5 million in that. And so, any, at any given time when you're out in the city, uh, and then the percentage of Christian, including, you know, uh, just all, all kinds that would call themselves Christians, many of whom may not really be regenerate, maybe 2%. So, anytime I met a Christian not intending to meet a Christian in the city, it was almost like, wait, you're, you're, one, of, you're one of us? You know, it was, it was almost that kind of experience. And uh, when you go on a train, especially, uh, you you just see this mass of humanity. And I I told the guys, and it's true, most everybody that you see in this train, this crowded train, does not know Christ. They don't know about the love of Christ. They probably don't know anyone who can tell them about the love of Christ. And so Paul, uh, as we're going to see, the fear of the Lord... But also the love of Christ, knowing that Jesus had died for someone like him, who was a blasphemer and a persecutor of the church. He died for Paul. Paul, God saved Paul. Jesus saved Paul. And Paul knew that Jesus loves them also. And that motivated Paul. That Christ died. And and as you read on in verse 15 and, and 16... Jesus died so that lost sinners could be united with him and in being united with him, be reconciled to God. As you read on, what what united with Christ means, 15, he died for all so that those who who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised and was raised, And then skipping down to 17, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. So, Paul knew that, hey, these lost people out here, if they can be joined with Christ, if they can hear the gospel and be joined with Christ, just like me, they can die. They will die to their old nature, and they'll be made new. They'll be raised to new life in Christ, because that's what it means to be united with Christ, and if that happens, they'll be reconciled to God. And so these two motivations, the fear of God and the love of Christ, motivated him. But I want to speak to verse 17 just a little bit there. This is one of those verses that I, I don't, years ago probably memorized out of context. And um, I guess it's, it's great to memorize any scripture, but it's also good to know it in its context. And I always just knew this as a standalone verse. Therefore, if anyone was in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. But again, looking at that, therefore, I think what Paul is getting at, look at verse 16. He's just talked in 15 about Jesus dying and being raised again, and uh, so they won't live for themselves but for him. And 16 says, From now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. I think what Paul's getting at here is when he looks out, you know, he's in Athens, he looks out, he sees a city full of idolatry. He doesn't see those people the way he used to see them. When he's wrestling with religious Jews in the synagogue He doesn't see those Jews the way he used to see them. He sees them now through the love of Christ, knowing the fear of God, and he knows that all of them, though they are a sinner now, hell-bound, it is possible that through the gospel they can hear and believe and be saved and their whole life, will be changed I think that's what he's getting at he doesn't see people the way he used to see them and I would ask you how you see people how do you see people and if you're if you're like me and I'm guessing in this regard you may be I look at people I kind of profile okay and I see somebody and I think yeah man they're a hard case I don't know. I don't. I don't. They don't. I don't think they're very likely to uh, be saved. That person over there may be a little more likely. They're not quite as rough around the edges, so maybe I'll share with them. I find myself doing that in my mind. And of course, the end result is I, when I'm in that mode of thinking, I don't share. I don't speak the gospel right. And probably you're the same way. You could probably call to mind right now somebody in your life that you just think. Yeah, man, I don't I don't I don't think he'll ever come or she'll ever come. And what this text tells us is that if we're in Christ, his love has changed us, we've been reconciled to God. We there was a time when we were alienated from God, we were slaves to sin, and probably somebody thought we'd never we'd never be the one to be saved and so the love of Christ reminds us that we don't need to look at people that way, that we look at people as what God can do if he gets a hold of them with his love. I heard someone say, uh, uh, an evangelist from Bangladesh, real near our city, he said, Muslims make I think he said, Muslims make great Baptists. I think that was his statement. And, uh, and you know, I thought, what, what faith to be able to long beard really intimidating you know um, and that's that's the way all Muslims look to me when I first went there I you know Osama bin Laden was still alive and that was this was 2003 and I'm going to the mosque or whatever talking and, and I'm seeing and they're, they're not smiling and it was uh really intimidating so to, to have faith to say he's, he's gonna make a great Christian I can see it now you know that takes, that takes faith. That takes the love of Christ motivating us. And I want to, if you can go ahead and just show this first slide. I want to introduce you to two people that we have been blessed to know, period, and to work with as well. Um, and these both are examples of new creation. This is Aziz, and he is from a very respectable uh, Muslim family. Uh, one of his ancestors is what is called a pir, which is a holy saint in Islam, and people would even make pilgrimage kind of to his area to do homage to uh, to this ancestor of his. So, very respectable Muslim family. And uh, the first time he heard the gospel, and this is by the way all before I met him. So, this was God at work before I ever met him. He came to our city to work in a leather factory. A Muslim background believer who just, in God's providence, was working there with him, shared the gospel with him. His reaction was a slap in the face. He slapped his friend and basically reprimanded him for not speaking like a good Muslim. You shouldn't say that. But what caught Aziz's attention was the way his friend, who was a believer in Christ, the way he responded to the slap. He didn't get angry, he didn't slap him back, and so even though Aziz was angry, that stuck in his head, and he couldn't get out of his head the way that he had turned the other cheek. So that led to him seeking out uh, an unorthodox Muslim, that's the way it was in his mind at that time, this guy in another village who also followed Isa, sought him out, he shared the gospel in more depth. I think he had encountered the word of God by that time and he was saved and baptized. The first from his family, first from his village. Then his wife wanted to divorce him. And just, uh, But eventually, a brother introduced him to us and now he, he, he moved to our city and began to minister among our people. Um, just a miracle, a marvel of grace. But no one would have thought he was a likely candidate to be saved. That's, that's my point. But the love of Christ would see yeah, he would make a great he would make a great Christian. Um, also, Anita. Let me see if is that the next slide. Go ahead and okay. There's more Aziz. Go on to the next one. This okay. This is Anita in the white. Um, I'll start to say shroud. I guess that's as good a word uh, as any kind of scarf. But um, we met Anita. Uh, after speaking in a church, I spoke for about five minutes one day, uh, broadcasting the need to reach Muslims in our city. And she came forward after the service, and lo and behold, God had already worked in her heart to have a desire to reach Muslims. She had married a Muslim man when she was 14. Uh, Her father was a Muslim. Her mother was a Catholic. And when she got married, she was not born again. And... uh, She learned Arabic. She was just sequestered in this small area of the city. And uh, one day, years later, her son was sick. She had gone to all of the Mazar's where you pray through a Muslim saint to to Allah for healing. Nothing had happened. She went to a Christian hospital in the city uh, run by Assemblies of God. And she saw a picture of Jesus on the wall. And she says that she just remembered Jesus. It just came back to her. Oh, that's Jesus there. And so she prayed to Jesus, and her son was healed. And um, the fever left, and that was the beginning of her conversion. And then the persecution really began from her husband. Uh, she she tells that it's not uncommon at all in uh, that culture for husbands to beat their wives, just in general. But now it was elevated, and she was persecuted and beaten specifically for her faith and even spiteful things. She would go to church with her children and um, then he would go off to drive his taxi and just lock them out of the house and leave, you know. Or she had prepared food. He'd dump a bunch of spices in it, ruin it, just spiteful, anything he could just to antagonize her for this stance she had taken in following Isa. But over time, her love got to him, and when we met her husband, go ahead to the next one there, this is Shafiq, and when we met him, he was not a believer, but he was, his heart had significantly thawed because of the love of Christ and his wife. Um, she moved out of the house eventually because the, the persecution was so great, but she would come back to his house and prepare food and leave it on his bed, he would come back and find this meal prepared. And this kind of love eventually broke him. We introduced him to a Muslim background believer outside the city because there were none in the city then, really. Very few. And he said a light came on. And that was the beginning of his conversion. And uh, he was kind of one... He was rough. I mean, rough around the edges still, in a sense. He had a really bad temper before and uh, believe it or not, it kind of works in his favor as a believer, even because people still—he's just got that rep—and in his neighborhood, it's like, okay, he follows Isa, but we better not give him too much of a hard time; he might go off the handle, you know. So, um, but a changed man, and we continued to see uh, that change play out, and reconciliation happen within his family with his children, whom he'd also abused. But examples of what God does, the new creation, and I'm sure those of you here could, could share similar. But uh, that's the, the motivation for Paul's ministry. The fear of the Lord, and the fear of the Lord, he persuaded others. The love of Christ controlled him. Uh, also, I want to look, secondly, at the nature of this ministry of reconciliation. The nature of this ministry of reconciliation. And we're going to see in this, kind of, what God does in this ministry but also our role, um, the role we play in this. Um, when I say the word reconciliation, and you don't have to answer out loud, but, but what comes to mind when I say the word reconciliation? And uh, the first thing I thought about was a, a checkbook. You reconcile your, your checkbook. And, uh, you know, if, if there are differences, maybe the bank says you have this much money in your account... You think you have this much money in your account. Hopefully, it's less money. Then you'll be pleasantly surprised when you reconcile. And you find, oh, I've really got this amount of money. But you, there are differences. The bank says one thing. Your account says one thing. There's a difference on both sides. And you need to reconcile that. Do away with those differences, those uh, things opposing one another, to reconcile the two sides. Um, John Owen gives this definition, okay? That's just a general use of reconciliation. But when we think of being reconciled to God, uh, here's a gen- just a general definition John Owen gives uh, from around, <clears throat> around 300 years ago. <clears throat> um, <clears throat> excuse me. Reconciliation is the renewing of friendship. If I can get some water, maybe. I don't <clears throat> sorry. Mm. Reconciliation is the renewing of friendship between parties before at variance, Both parties being properly said to be reconciled, even both he that offendeth and he that was offended. So that's just in general. There's a difference. Both sides have been offended. They need to be brought together. But what does that look like with us and God? And he, he goes on. To make perfect reconciliation, which Christ has said in many places to do. Thank you. It is required first... It is required first that the wrath of God be turned away. His anger removed and all the effects of enmity on his part towards us. So that's the first part. That needs to be taken care of. Because that's, at, we're at odds there. But secondly, that we be turned away from our opposition to him. And brought into voluntary obedience. Until both these be effected, reconciliation is not perfected. Now both these are in the scripture assigned to our Savior. As the effects of his death and sacrifice. And so there's a lot separating us from God. He has every right to be angry with us. We've sinned against him. He's perfectly holy. We're utterly sinful. So there's, we deserve punishment from him, not not favor. But also, our hearts are not inclined toward his. Naturally, we turn away. So from both sides, there's opposition. And here's the tough part. We're in no position to really help with the reconciliation process. Not on our own. We're not inclined that way. And uh, we're not deserving of it from his side. So what's what's to be done? Well, thankfully, there's a, a gospel message. That's what's to be done. There's a message of reconciliation. And look with me now in verse 18. All this, and I think that's referring back to Verse 17, the new creation, and maybe 16 also, the new way we see people. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself. So, I'll just stop there. So, on the one hand, reconciliation is from God. All this is from God. He's the one that... Has to take the first step. Um, we have to hear his message before we can be reconciled to God. So, in that sense, it, it all it all hinges on on God. But in and also, it says that this is through Christ in verse eighteen that he reconciles us through Christ. As Scripture puts it elsewhere, Hebrews nine twelve, he says that Jesus. "...entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption." I think that's what Paul's talking about. God reconciles us through Christ. In other words, Christ's death is what reconciles us. He redeems us with his blood. He secures an eternal redemption so that we can be saved. Apart from his work, satisfying God's anger, um, there would be no, no reconciliation. And apart from the Holy Spirit's work, turning our heart towards him, no reconciliation. So God reconciles in Christ, but there's, there's more. Um, and the question is, how do we realize this? How do we realize this reconciliation? And that's where the message of reconciliation comes in, of it. In Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, verse 19, and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. So God, and this is the surprise, I think, and maybe I might even say the the risk. God entrusts to human ambassadors. His children, yes, but sinful, frail, fearful, fickle, People like me, that sometimes I, I'm, I'm scared and I don't open my mouth because I'm intimidated, but that's God's ordained means for spreading this message of reconciliation. If we don't hear it, if a sinner doesn't hear it, they're not going to be reconciled. But in His sovereign, kind of strange wisdom, God ordains to do it through you and through me, through His church, which raises a question why on earth? Would he do that? Why would he entrust such a treasure to people who could cause the whole enterprise to fail, basically? And I think we find the answer a few, couple chapters back. Look at, or one chapter back, chapter 4, verse 7. This is one example. You see a bunch in this chapter talking about this message of reconciliation, the gospel. He says, but we have this treasure, this this gospel message, in jars of clay. In other words, in, in these frail bodies to show that the surpassing power belongs to God and not to us. Um, you see it again in uh, verse 10. He carries the, in his body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus can be manifested. Um, in 11, always being given over to death, so that the life of Jesus can be manifested. And so this is God's design. That he gives this treasure. To broken people like us. So that when sinners do hear the message. And believe me. I don't know if you're this way. But so often when I share the gospel with someone. Um, right now I, I, I'm a, a caregiver full time for an elderly man. A, a Jewish Jewish family. And uh my first experience uh, with, with Jewish people in my life, really. And uh, it's been interesting, the conversations we have. But oftentimes, I'll think afterwards, I should have said this. I should have said that. Uh, or I didn't, I didn't say that right. Or I forgot that scripture or whatever. Even our presentation of this message of reconciliation is never as it should be, right? But the comfort in this is that it doesn't ultimately hinge on even our ability to communicate this message perfectly. We never will. Thankfully, and praise God, He blesses our inadequate, our faulty presentations of His treasure that He's given us as His ambassadors. God blesses it in ways that surprise us. And then someone we never thought would come to faith in Christ comes to faith in Christ and it's just the way God works. And so in the end, who gets the glory? Not us. Uh, not us, not because of our skillful presentation, but he gets the glory. And that's the way he works. That's the way he works. Um, this was Paul's ministry. God gave him a ministry to the Gentiles. And, um, oh, before I go there, verse 20, just real quick. So he says, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. And then look down to verse one of chapter six. We appeal to you, working together with him, with God, we appeal to you not to receive the grace of God in vain. And and this is kind of odd, maybe, because it seems like I thought he was writing the church. Why is he appealing to them, the church, to be reconciled to God? I, I think what's going on is as that day, as this day in every congregation, it's not all wheat. There are tares amongst and probably here today there are some who have never come to true saving faith in christ so paul i think what's going on here he's saying we've been given this ministry and in the letter itself he says you know i need to carry it out now as i'm writing this letter i'm going to appeal just in case some of these have never been reconciled to god i appeal to you be reconciled to god don't receive this grace in vain i think that's what's what's going on here but Paul, he received, this, he received a special ministry. You, you, you read it in Acts, different places, to the Gentiles. God called him a specific ministry to the Gentiles. You also read in, I think it's Acts 13, the church at Antioch was praying, and God, the Holy Spirit, said, set aside Paul and Barnabas to the ministry to which I've called them. And so they go out as missionaries, basically. They go out, they, they Spread the gospel. They plant churches. They come back and report what God had done. So probably another frequent question is, how did God call you into mission work? So briefly, uh, and you can go ahead. I think there's a few slides here. You can see my family. Meet my better half. This is our daughter, okay? Our, our oldest daughter, who's 12 now. This is when we went to the field, when we first went to the field. We, um, we went. God started to call us. Uh, through a pastor uh, like, you know, like Chet. And this pastor showed the congregation that missions in scripture did not start with Matthew 28. It went all the way back to the beginning of the Bible. You know, even in Genesis where God said, told Abram, I'm going to bless you and I'm going to make you a blessing. And through you all, all peoples are going to be blessed. And in the Psalms, all the desire from the psalmist that all the nations praise him. We had, I had never seen that before. Missions had been kind of a sentimental thing to me. But all of a sudden, as we're reading our Bibles every day, my wife and I are seeing, oh, here's another verse. Here's another one. Here's another one. God desiring to be glorified among the nations. And, uh, and text that, like Matthew 24, 14, this gospel Uh, We preached in the whole world as a testimony to all nations. And then the end will come. That that God's going to see that this gospel gets there. And they're his chosen people. He's going to reach these with his gospel. They're going to be saved before his son comes back. And so that was part of it. So we went to seminary. We were looking at job requests from all over. We were ministering in a Chinese church. And I think that's another thing that goes into calling. I was talking with Chet earlier. Uh, Everything in Chet's life leading up to this was... Church planting. I mean, it sounded like it. And and God preparing in special ways for him to plant this church. As I look back in my life, from early on, I was drawn toward other cultures. Um, You know, whether it be here in the States, uh, African American or international students, exchange students, bringing friends home from other countries during college on holidays, working with international student ministry at the Baptist Student Union chinese church during seminary just that was a recurring theme and so god used that but we weren't looking at india not at all i heard three words used to describe india by a missionary that served there hot crowded and smelly or something like that and i thought that's that's not for me and um but we couldn't couldn't have children uh weren't able to conceive and we started the adoption process and we met the requirements for India. We started adopting a child from India. For her sake, we started reading about India, trying Indian food. And we thought, we like Indian food uh, really well. And, uh, and so, God turned our heart in that direction. And just flash these next ones real quick. This is our second daughter. Uh, so, Noelle, the first one, is nine. Hallie is... is no. And Noelle's 12. Hallie's nine. And uh, go ahead. I just... I want you to meet my family. And so God sent us to uh, this city, 2.6 million uh, Muslims, uh, or 2.5 million Muslims. And this was the street where we lived during our first term uh, during a festival time. Uh, so you can get a sense of, of the lostness uh, there. But lastly, I just want to focus in on one uh, verse, uh, verse 21. Um, this is one of those gospel in a nutshell verses Um, We all know John 3, 16, probably. That's a gospel in a nutshell verse. If you're with someone and you want to remember one verse, that tends to come out. This is another one. Um, It's the ministry of reconciliation or the gospel in one verse. And so let me just read this. For our sake, he made him to be sin. So it's talking about Jesus. He made Jesus to be sin who knew no sin. So Jesus was without sin. He didn't deserve to be punished for sin. But God made him sin. Bearing our sin on the cross. So that in him, in Christ, we might become the righteousness of God. And uh, an entire sermon could be preached from that one verse. It's so loaded. But that's uh, the gospel in a nutshell. And... um, Or you could say, I think, it's reconciliation through propitiation. Uh, God pouring out his wrath for sin on Jesus so that we can be made righteous and pure in his sight. Um, Recently, we met with some Muslim friends in in Louisville. And in the uh, course of conversation, we got to talking about Jesus and uh, the lady. They didn't oppose the cross, which was interesting because many Muslims do. Uh, but they accepted that Jesus died on the cross. And she said, it just makes sense. Somebody has to take our baggage. Those were her her words. And um, I don't know what's going to come of this relationship. But somebody has to take our baggage. We can't, we can't bear it. She just knew that. And so that's what Jesus does for us. Um, so in closing, I just want to... Make an appeal to you. Um, I want to implore you. To be reconciled to Christ. To be reconciled to God through Christ. If you're not. Um, by trusting Christ as your Savior. And uh, you can be assured. That if you turn from your sins. And you trust in Christ. He will receive you. Uh, you can know that. Uh, also if you're here and you're a believer. You have been reconciled to God. I just want to encourage you again. Uh, ask yourself, what, what motivates you? As you're rubbing shoulders with lost people each week, what motivates you? Are you mindful? And I'm talking to myself here because I, I forget this too. Are you mindful? One day you'll give an answer to God for the gifts that he's given you, uh, the opportunities to hear the gospel that he's given you. People in other parts of the world don't get that. You're an ambassador. He's placed his treasure in you. Will you do it perfectly? No. But are you doing it? Uh, I think God can use bumbling attempts uh, to share the gospel. Uh, he can use that for his glory. Um, I want to transition now, though, in just a little bit about uh, our return trip to India. Um, as Chet shared, uh, we're going back through a different organization just briefly uh the reason we're not going back through uh the same organization uh our youngest daughter has some um challenges educationally and so uh the imb didn't feel that we could go back and so we had to wrestle with are we called just to go through the organization we've known all these years um and kind of in the baptist world or should we go through some other means and uh Back in the day, you know, uh, Southern Baptist missionaries are fully supported. Um, They don't have to raise support. Practically every other missionary has to raise support. (laughs) But we would kind of, you know, thank God that we didn't have to raise support like these other uh, poor missionaries. And uh, so now we're one of those poor missionaries. And um, so I want to talk with you just a little bit about uh, support because we're going back through, through Pioneer's. It is a uh, like-minded mission organization. So the focus is still very similar to our previous mission organization. It is to see people reconciled to God through Christ. It's centered on gospel proclamation and church planning among unreached peoples. So that's the same. Um we um the big difference is that it is a self self-support. And um so what that looks like um our biggest need, uh, just speaking real real frankly, our biggest need is just the monthly support. And um, we have uh, some prayer cards, some response slips, I think, over on the, uh, the, the welcome table. And maybe someone will stand at the door and pass those out. We also have a list where you can put your email. And so I hope at the least, if God stirs your heart and you think, I'd just like to stay in touch, please put your email address there and you'll be put on our update list. But... Um, Paul, his ministry was made possible. Uh, one, he made tents. that uh, He did that different places. But you see in 2 Corinthians that his ministry in Corinth was made possible by the giving of another church in Macedonia. So they supported him. A church supported him so he could do his work. You also see in uh, chapter 16 of Romans, he mentions uh, a lady named Phoebe who was a patron And uh, even people we know, like John Newton, that wrote Amazing Grace, his ministry in England uh, in the uh, late 1700s was made possible by a patron, pretty much. Uh, This happened some historically. So, typically, the pioneer missionary support, two or three churches will often be comprised of two or three churches that feel moved to support in a line-item way, like in their budget. Um... A missionary might have two or three like that. But the bulk is through various patrons uh, from different churches that say, I want to make an investment in that ministry in, uh, in India. Um, and just to let you know kind of the status of the ministry there right now, when we went in 2003, there were basically zero believers from Muslim background meeting together. There were some scattered in some traditional churches. Um, but now... Uh, Over time, God knit together a team. Anita and Aziz were two of those. There were some more, Ali, uh, Muhammad Ali, and um, then also a guy named Biman. God knit together a team. In our second term, we started to see fruit. We had kind of a model house church and eventually some real house churches and new believers. And now there's about 50 uh, believers there, all from Muslim background. I'm still in touch with all our, our Indian partners there. The work continues to go on uh, this, despite our absence. Um, and so uh, that's, that's kind of the status of the work now. But, but uh, if God moves you, though, um, again, our main need, we're about 20% right now, and our main need is monthly support. Um, we do have a startup goal, so one-time support is also uh, appreciated. So however God uh, moves you, um, I'll be around afterwards, or you could take one of those response slips and it tells you the website. It's like a lot of other things nowadays. You can do it online or it has an address. And again, if you'd like to receive the update, uh, just put the email address. But uh, let me close uh, in prayer. Father in heaven, um, Lord, forgive us for the times um, when we, though we have been made new in Christ, we don't, your, Christ's love does not control us. We don't operate from that. And um, we're very, uh, we don't see people through eyes of faith. And Father, I ask forgiveness for that in my own life. And Father, Lord, fill us with a spirit of boldness and love that we may have confidence to speak your gospel to the, the hardest, most hearted, hardest person that we know. Knowing that you are able to break that hard heart. If you so choose. Uh, Father, may we share with reckless abandon, Father, knowing that, motivated by the fear, your, the fear of you, knowing that we'll give an answer one day and by the, controlled by the love of Christ. Uh, may we work with you, knowing that uh, we can't effect a new birth, we can't cause this reconciliation, but that you have made us your ambassador. You have placed your treasure in these jars of clay And may we be faithful with it, Father. Thank you for your great love that caused you to offer your Son to die in our place, to become sin, that we might become the righteousness of God. Father, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.